Thank you, Natalie. Not, not for the sarcastic co comments, but for the prayers. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. I'll take anyone on in pickleball. Just bring it. Oh, uh, yeah. With a partner, yeah. She gives me her husband, and then we play. Yeah, anyways, so... Uh, uh, so I consider myself, uh, most of the time, a glass is the half full kind of individual, right? I, I seek to, to stay generally optimistic, but I do have moments where I do would describe moments of the glass is half empty, that I, I do wrestle with those hardships and difficulties, oftentimes, it's in the moments when you read about something like Haiti and what's going on. And sometimes I wrestle and say, God, why? Why? Why, why so hard? Why so difficult? I think the, the pandemic really led to a lot of those moments, especially those moments I, I try and live out those moments in prayer. And I get a little complainy and blamey, I would say. Complainy in the sense of, God, why is life so hard? And blamey in the sense of, God, you could do something about this, right? You're God. Well, why does it have to be so? Why a, a pandemic, right? Watching George Floyd. Why such evil and nastiness in the world? Why, God? And we pray that out together. I think those questions are a part of our life generally, but the, the chapter we're going to read in Joshua 7, it brings out some of those questions to me. There is, a, there is I would say, a harshness in chapter 7 of Joshua. Would you, would you turn with me to chapter 7? And I want us to, to look at this chapter, but also wrestle through. We've been, uh, for those of you who are new first time uh, this Sunday, we've been walking through the book of Joshua. And, and God has been richly meeting us in different places in the chapters. But to the modern reader, to the sensitive reader, there are some questions that are challenging questions about the book of Joshua in general, but about life in general. If you read thoughtfully through Joshua, you'll see that there is a, a level of violence that can be bothersome. I think it should be bothersome. There's a, a, a level of military advancement. There is this idea of the, the people of God being commanded by God to take land and sometimes to fully devote the people of that land to God. And, and what the Bible means by fully devoting those people, men, women, children, animals, killed. That can be bothersome. And what I'd like us to do this morning is really two things. As we approach Joshua 7, I want us to ask the question, the, this, the first question is, how do we reconcile 
the, the violence, the, sometimes what feels like an ethnic cleansing, sometimes what feels like innocence being murdered. How do we reconcile that with the testimony of Scripture that God is a God of love? Now, we're not going to be able to answer those profound questions fully and completely, not in one message or in a short period of time, but I'm hoping that there'll be a few perspectives that can help us authentically and in a real way wrestle with God. What would be some of those perspectives that God would share? I think the story of Achan, which we're going to read gives and provides some of those perspectives. And then, of course, the the second question in this pretty harsh story, how would God have us apply that today in the 21st century? What does it mean to you and me today? So it's a tall order, but let's read. We're going to read most of the chapter. We're going to start. Now, remember, we're just coming out of the story of Jericho where this feels, I think, maybe David Manzion puts this low on me, but I'm going uh, <laughs> to... So, so we, uh, we're gonna, they, we just got done with Jericho. We saw that they, they marched around Jericho, the walls fell, they entered in, and they killed all the living inhabitants. They were, they were commanded to devote all things to God, well, there's one individual, Achan, that disobeys, and he keeps some of the treasure for himself, exactly what God told him not to do. So there's trouble brewing. This is Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Not good. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. This is the next city that they were going to take, um, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. Strategic, thoughtful, save a little bit of the resources of the army. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of the Israelites. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear. They became and became like water. So the Israelites felt invincible. They were winning everything first, a huge military defeat. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Remaining there till evening, the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you even bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. 
I'm going to contend that this was not one of Joshua's best moments. But we'll come back to that. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites, Amorites, Canaanites, words for the the same people, and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will we do? What will you do about your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore. Unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So what happens is they consecrate themselves and God, um, Joshua begins to bring tribe by tribe before God. We don't know really how God communicates, but he separates and he chooses a tribe. And then within that tribe, clan by clan. And then within that clan, family by family. I wonder where Achan was in this process going, uh uh-oh. And then person by person, and God identifies Achan. We'll jump down to verse 19. It says, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and to honor him, tell me what you have have done, do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done when I saw the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver Underneath, they go and get all the, the plunder. They bring it before Achan and the Lord and the whole community of people. Verse 24, then Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. Not the modern Colorado stoning, the bad stoning, the death stoning. Then they stoned the rest, i.e., his family. And they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. 
So a hard story, a, a harsh story, a very real coming. How do we wrap our, our heads, our hearts, our minds around this kind of story from the direction of God? Well, a, a couple of perspectives that perhaps will, will help us. Whenever we wrestle with suffering and difficulty and pain, we're always mindful that God chose to give us free will, choice, opportunity, and said he holds us to an account for the choices that we make. Right? This, this is an example of someone making very bad choices and God holding them to account. But I want us to go a bit deeper than that and recognize that sometimes the inspired authors of Scripture use contrast. And they contrast people within a story to help us give perspective and truth. But I don't think the contrast in this story is uh, Achan and Joshua. In fact, I think there's a contrast that's in the greater story of Jericho that happened a couple of chapters ago with an individual that, that the book of Joshua spends quite a bit of time on. Any guesses who that individual would be? Rahab, yes. Rahab, if you remember from the story of, of Joshua, she was a Canaanite, Amorite. She was in Jericho, right? She was the one, and we saw a, a number of, of uh, weeks ago that Rahab was this Canaanite prostitute, and yet the spies came in. She, by testimony of her own uh, uh, mouth, she said, uh, really expressed belief and faith in the one true living God that she trusted God, and therefore Joshua and the Israelites, even though they conquered Jericho, they saved, it says, but Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her. What part of the story or the author of, of Joshua is doing is something that is true throughout all of Scripture is that there is this beautiful interplay between divine grace and divine judgment. You could say God's mercy and God's righteousness. And we see from the beginning to the end this interplay of God's grace and God's judgment. Scripture is the revelation of who God is. And oftentimes, I believe, we run into all sorts of mistakes because we let go of one of those aspects of who God is. God is a God of love and kindness and goodness, and yet at the same time, he is a God of righteousness and holiness and justice. Here's an analogy that might be helpful if you imagine this large beam 
between from one end of the sanctuary to the other and someone takes a large rope and throws it over the beam and you want to hold on to both sides of that rope. You want a biblical understanding of who God is. You want to read and understand the essence of God at least as much as he reveals and gives to us. If you let go of either his mercy or his justice, then you're going to fall to the ground. Scripture teaches that God is a God of both. And it's powerful, the book of Joshua. Rahab, she was in the wrong people group. She was the wrong gender for that time and context. She was in the wrong profession. And yet she expresses faith and God goes, her, she's mine. Protect her. Achan was of the right people. He was the, 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 of the chosen people. He was, uh, had the right standing in his community. He was the right gender. And yet, he does the opposite of Rahab. He rejects, he, he says by his actions, I'm gonna, I don't know if God really would see this. I, boy, boy, that stuff looks really good. I, I know we're promised all, but I'm gonna get mine right now. And God says, no, no. There's a hypocrisy there. But I think this points us in this direction, that that Jesus so brilliantly would continually make this connection, which I, I think we miss, that he would say that if you love me, you will obey me. That love isn't separate from the righteousness and the holiness of God. He invites us to both. If you say you love God but live inconsistently with with the revelation of who God is, well, then your expressions of love of God is, is just words. He invites that our lives, our decisions in our relationships would reflect who he said he is. A God of mercy and love, yes, but also a God of justice and holiness and judgment. The second perspective I want us to think about is this idea or this concept called the measure of sin. The measure of sin. And so yes, if you're just reading and and you're focused in on the story, it can feel like, gosh, all these innocent people just wiped out for the good. They were just born in the wrong place, wrong time. God is bringing that. But in fact, if you look at a broader story of Scripture, that's not true. When God was calling Abram, who would become Abraham. And he gives the the covenant and the promises. He said, I'm going to give you this land right here, but not now. And you know why it was not now? Not because he didn't have a nation, but we read in that story in, in Genesis 
Genesis 15, 16, God says to Abram, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites. Remember, the Amorites is another name for the Canaanites. He's talking about the people who are, are in the promised land. The sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. He's, he's saying that no, this isn't just about the primary story. Yes, it's about the people of God getting the, the, the promised land, but this also is a story about sin mattering. That, that there's a time, there's a, a measure of sin that God cares about our, our righteousness, our holiness, the decisions that he make, that we make. And this is a story about judgment of that sin. And in this moment, God is talking 400 years later, the measure of the Canaanite sin was so great. Imagine people, Canaanites, Rahab, that were crying out, this is terrible, the unrighteousness. Think about the victims that were happening. In fact, there's testimony that archaeological evidence that the Canaanite people there were some heinous things happening. Imagine those victims crying out, saying, God, help, mercy. And God says, the judge, again, this, this interplay, Israel, Israel would face the same judgment. You realize that? That he would say, stop sinning, stop, no, you got, you're the children, you have all the covenant, and you're saying, if you don't stop sinning, I am going to bring a foreign nation that will judge you. It doesn't matter if you're Israel. And he does just that. I was thinking of the story of Jonah, which I love this little story, tucked away. You know, from Sunday school, the whale comes and swallows Jonah. Why was Jonah running the opposite direction? God said, go to Nineveh, right? Enemy of Israel. Preach that. Why does Jonah run the other direction? Anyone remember this story? He doesn't want to do what God asked him to. Why doesn't he want to do what God asked him to? He knows God is a God of mercy. And he wants God to bring it to the Ninevites. Right? He's upset that God is a God of love. He's like, I knew that. So finally, you know, he's throw up to, onto the shore. He preaches the Ninevites repent the full measure of their sin. God gave them an opportunity to repent. Jonah proclaims, and, and they, they repent. <laughs> Read the story of Jonah. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And God's like, come on, you don't have a right, right? But sometimes on either side of the equation, sometimes when it comes to other people's sin, God, we want judgment, right? When it comes to ours, mercy. Again, if we, we let go of either side we fall to the ground. Third perspective. I want you to think about the time 
in which we live in terms of the time of salvation. That there are some difficult aspects of Joshua that we should wrestle with, but we need to be mindful of context, context, context. In this, there was a unique period in redemptive history where the uh, judgment and full measure of sin of the Canaanites was coming to bear along with the Israelites taking the promised land. And there was total destruction. In part, God was concerned that the heinous acts of the Canaanites would bubble over and infect the Israelites, the children of God. And he wanted to remove all of that sin from that. Unfortunately, it still happens. They still are infected by that sin. Also, it's interesting to note that when in, in Deuteronomy, when he's talking about taking of the promised land, but then he talks about conquering people outside of the promised land, he gives different instructions, not total destruction. In fact, he's saying, I want you to be mindful of the situation in which you find yourselves. This time, when you're facing the Canaanites, it's about the promised land, it's about judgment of sin. But when in other circumstances, when you go to war, no, 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 don't treat them in that way. So really an indication that we need to be mindful of the situation and the time. So we're not like saying, oh, well, he commanded people, so let's go kill everyone that's not a Christian. No, Bad application, right? Now, would you think about the time of redemptive history that we live in? In fact, Paul tells us we don't live in Old Testament times. God is the the same God then as he is now, but we live in a different time. In fact, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 6.2, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. You could say Achan did that. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, Paul says to the Corinthians and to you and me, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. He's saying right now, why, what, who changed the time in history? This is the easy one again, Mike, what it? Jesus changed the time. We live in the shadow of the cross. That all that, that as we reflect on the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the judgment of God, you know what that should do? That should push us to the cross. And go, Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace is poured out on us. Jesus took it. Yes, God is a God of righteousness. Yes, God brings judgment. But he said, I will send my son to cover your sin." that we should push every day 
into the cross. We should lean into the cross. We should walk in God's mercy and grace and share it with others. Here's the huge point. When we respond to the story of Achan, we want to allow him to disciple our hearts in the shadow of the cross. Let's just give two, two applications from this. I, I thought about what do we learn from the story of Achan? And my first thought was to say, stop sinning. Don't be so greedy. Stop being materialistic. But I thought maybe I'll get a little bit better of an application point on that. But if you want to take that, that's good. But look at verse 19 with me. I was caught by Joshua's words to Achan. It says, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord. Why did he say that? Give glory to the Lord. And then he says, the God of Israel, and, and honor him. Why, why glory? An honor, I believe it was Saint Irenaeus that said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God, in other words, when you're living it right, when you're making the right decisions, when you're living the life in grace, in truth, when you're living rightly in relationships and your work ethic and your, and your sexuality, everything, when you're living it right, you're honoring God. You're giving glory to God. And Joshua is saying to Achan, handle this situation the way that you should have handled it from the beginning. Give glory to God. Speak honestly. Speak truthfully in this moment. Honor God with your life. So here's my application, perhaps a little bit better than stop sinning. Revere God. Fear God. and your relationship with him. Take it seriously. You remember the beginning of Joshua. He doesn't just say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you successful. You're going to be awesome. What does he say? He says, be careful with the law. Live, meditate on my revelation, what is truth and right. Meditate on that day and night. You see, again, even at the very beginning of Joshua, he's saying, yes, I have these beautiful plans for you, this beautiful life for you, but, paraphrasing, if you want to experience the love of God, you've got to obey, be careful to live rightly reverence, fear, in the Old Testament sense, is this idea 
of reverence. It's this idea of taking God and your relationship with him seriously and thoughtfully. It's this idea that fear is used all through the Old Testament. Listen to this Psalm 34, 8 and 9. I love the, the two sides of, of God. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste his goodness. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Right? That, that we get to taste. God, I, I hope that you taste his goodness and mercy as we partook in communion. And yet, the psalmist goes on, fear, fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. This idea of of reverence and, and living it right. Achan was living hypocritically. He was living the, the promises for the promises and rejecting the invitation to obey, to revere, to be careful. Remember, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws. Meditate on it day and night. This affirms a practice that I have that I, I think God's discipled me in, and I need this practice. Many of you know that I, I pray the Lord's Prayer conversationally almost every day. I seek not to be legalistic. But I pray, I have a least favorite line of the Lord's Prayer. Is that okay to say? What is it? Forgive me my debts or trespasses or sins as I forgive others. Like, so I have to figure out, am I holding anything, any bitterness, any unforgiveness about, from anyone else? Or, and then, okay, as I have forgiven others, Lord, would you forgive me? I think that's way... The Lord is teaching me to walk in the shadow of the cross, that I get to live authentically and real. Here's my, here's my goal, and I'm not quite sure theologically and biblically it all works together, but give me a little bit of grace in this, right? So we're going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. Jesus says every careless word, right? As Christians, and I don't know if, if the enemy is going to be there, the great accuser, but would you imagine if the accuser, I stand before God, and he says, you know what? He does not deserve to get in heaven because Eric did this and this and this and this. And here's my goal, that Jesus says, yeah, uh, we talked about that August 15th, 2021. He's already confessed it. We, we worked in that communion moment. He confessed that sin. It's covered. Old news accuser. He's in. My desire is that my sin becomes old news every day. 
And the enemy has nothing that I haven't talked about with the Lord. Yes? Second point I want us just to reflect on in the last couple of minutes is Joshua. This is a a little bit minor of a story with Achan, but Joshua, can we go back to, uh, to verse 10 in Joshua? And Joshua, he starts out well, um, actually, no, go back to um, verse 7. He starts out well, and, and he's confessing, he's ripping his clothes, the elders are there, but then he says this in verse 7, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. What? <laughs> Joshua, what happened? Like, so this promised land was your idea? Is that, is that what it was? And you just, you got it wrong? Or, and the, or maybe, oh, God is fickle, right? He just, he's a little tired of the Israelites, right? So he's like done with them. He, he made it through 40 years of the desert, but now at this key moment that God's, you know, cha- what? I think it's a little lack of faith here on Joshua's part. I mean, now go to verse 10. I think that God says these words to Joshua with an eye roll. Stand up. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. So here's my application point for this. Get off your face. What is he saying there? He's saying, I'm not fickle, Joshua. I'm the same God as I've always been. The promises are there, but I told you what I would do if you sinned. Israel has sinned. You see, I think that there is a tendency for us to separate our, 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 our desires for favor and blessing and success from God from our living in righteousness and holiness. That sometimes we cry, God, this is unfair! And God's like, really? You're saying this to me without confession. Can we replay the last 24 hours? Yes? That, that God is inviting us. In fact, there's no evidence that, that Joshua asks for direction and counsel about AI. There, there's a, a comment, I've got this, right? We, we separate God. I had a, in, a, in a past church, I had an individual and he met with me and coffee and he's like, Eric, you, you talk about listening for the voice of God, and I just can't listen. So we talked about that. We prayed together. I found out later that he was cheating on his wife. I was like, that was a waste of time for me to try and instruct him on the voice of God. Right? I think part of that, James 1, 5 says, 
If you need counsel, ask God for that. It's the, the, but it's getting right with God, being real with God, turning to God. What would have happened if Joshua would have turned and said, Lord, should we take AI rather than the spies? He might have said, you've got problems, don't go. So here's the, the main point from Joshua 7. What we really believe about God will directly shape how we live. What we really believe about God will shape how we live. Let's go all in. God is a God of love. Let's all in. Let's go all in that God is a God of righteousness and justice and judgment. And let's live our lives by who God claims to be. Let's pray. So that word revere or reverence kind of stuck in my soul. Lord, would you teach us to be a people who revere you, who walk in reverence of you, Lord, would you teach us to be a, a people who taste and know that you are good? Would you also teach us to be a people who are being made holy every day in ever-increasing measure? Amen. And we stand up together give you the, the benediction for some of you want to just worship and, and respond with this final song uh, would you remember our ministry fair would you take a few moments to meet some of the leaders out there and, and how God might use you in this season it might connect with your giftedness sometimes it doesn't we just need people to serve faithfully in response to God's goodness. Would you go, would you walk in the reverence of the Lord? Would you go knowing, believing, staking your life that God is a God of love and grace and mercy? But would you go living fully and embracing that God is a God of righteousness, of holiness, and justice. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.